Throughout the gospel, many times Jesus would say, my hour is not come. Well, today in our study of the gospel of Luke, his hour has come. Since last December, our studies in the gospel of Luke have been following the footsteps of Jesus. Today, those footsteps take us to the cross. Let's follow our Savior there. As we go on the cross, we're going to be introduced to several people. Luke chapter 23, I'm going to read from 26 to 47. Now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of the people followed him, and women who also mourned and lamented him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore and the breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in a greenwood, what will they be done in the dry? There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots, and the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ, the chosen of God, the soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, this is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father... Into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, Certainly, this was a righteous man. Father, I pray that today we would have a fresh look at the cross. Help us, Father, to learn what we need to do with Jesus. We pray in his precious name. Amen. Jesus makes his way to the cross. And the first 
people, or first person that he meets is a guy by the name of Simon of Cyrene, verse 26. In the Roman system, part of the humiliation process against the criminals was to make him carry his own cross. The cross would weigh anywhere from 100 to 200 pounds. Some say that it was only the cross beam, but whatever, it weighed a lot. From the house of Pilate to the city gate, Jesus carried his own cross. But that was as far as he could go. He was worn out, and no doubt with the scourging that he had, being up literally all night, and also the emotional pressure and the lack of sleep. He collapsed and could not go another inch. Well, normally the Romans would beat you and give you more energy to get up, but they saw that it was useless to beat him anymore. So he fell beneath the load of that cross. And it says in verse 26, Now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after them. Now, Simon was visiting Jerusalem. Now, the name Simon is a Jewish, typical Jewish name, and in Cyrene, which is really in North Africa. That's why some suppose that he might have been a black man, but you got to remember he was, first of all, most likely a Jew. So it's possible that he wasn't. He was a typical Jew that was living. There was a colony of Jews living in that town of Cyrene. And it was, of course, the Passover week, and many pilgrims from all different parts of the world would descend into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Now, uh, devout Jewish pilgrims would, from out the whole Mediterranean area would come to Jerusalem now, he was coming from the country. It doesn't mean that he was coming from the fields working because no one was working during that time because it was a, a feast day. He, he might have gotten there a little bit late or he may have had other things to do and finally arrived when Jesus was on the way to the cross. Now, he joined the festivities. So he was selected to carry his cross. Now, Roman soldiers could impress anybody to carry something for them. And I would imagine as the Roman soldier in charge of the crucifixion detail saw this guy's not going to be able to carry his cross anymore, and he looked through the crowd and he saw somebody and said, you, you, I'm choosing you, come here. I said, what do you want with me? Pick up that cross and follow Jesus, carry it. They really didn't have much, because uh, Roman soldiers could kill you on the spot, because they were in charge of the whole country. So someone must carry it for him. So the centurion saw this man, and he pressed him into this distasteful service of bearing the weight of the cross. Now, this time was shortly before 9 o'clock. As the scripture says, they laid hold of Simon and they took possession of his physical body and used him for that. Well, he carried his cross after Jesus who was making his way up to the cross and they finally made it up to this skull-shaped hill called Golgotha. 
It must have been with a sigh of relief that Simon laid down the cross and quickly melted into the crowd. But I can just imagine that he just stuck around to see what was going on. And he saw the crucifixion. He was close enough probably to hear what others were saying and perhaps he heard what Jesus said on the cross as well. And his heart must have been touched by what he saw and heard that day. I believe there was a, that traumatic event brought about a lasting change to Simon. We have good reason to believe that Simon was converted because of this encounter with Jesus. Because in the Gospel of Mark, he is identified as the father of Rufus and Alexander. Now, how would they know Rufus and Alexander, as Mark wrote? Two men that Mark assumed the Roman readers would know. There was a Christian named Rufus who was greeted by Paul in Romans 16:13 and it's possible that he is the son of Simon of Cyrene apparently Simon and his two sons became well-known Christians in the early church who were held in honor in the Roman church if you ever heard the song watch the lamb by Ray Bolts it depicts this man with his two sons there at the cross and Simon being impressed to carry. That's a, a picturesque way of describing what happened there. Well, before Simon met Jesus, he had a religion and devotion since he came to the Passover to celebrate it. But after he met Jesus, he had reality and, I believe, salvation he did both a physical and a spiritual about face that morning, and it transformed his life. I tell you, God can use unexpected and difficult situations, even humiliating situations, to get our attention. I would imagine that picking up Jesus' cross and taking it up the hill and the weight of that cross and seeing all of that would have made a, a tremendous impact and sometimes God has to do something like that in our life to hit us in the face, so to speak, to get our attention. Has that ever happened to you? God sometimes knocks gently, but sometimes he bangs into getting our attention. They laid the cross on him, and he had to bear it behind Jesus. It's amazing what Jesus said in, way back in Luke 9. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Simon was the example of someone who picked up Jesus' cross. And you and I as believers in Christ need to pick up the cross and follow Jesus. Well, Jesus continues his slow journey on what people have called the Via Dolorosa and meets the second group. This is Jesus meeting the Jerusalem women in verses 27 to 31. Listen as I read verse 27 at the sympathy of the women. And a great multitude of people followed him. And, and women who also mourned and lamented him. 
in that huge crowd that was gathered around, of course, the city was full of people being the Passover. And, of course, we understand this is most likely Good Friday that is happening here. And it's before the celebration of that on the Saturday. But they're gathered. There's throngs of people. And among there, there's some women in Jerusalem that probably remembers Jesus and his teaching and his ministry and his kindness and the miracles that he did. And they see the cruelty of the Jews and the cruelty of the Roman government that's doing, that's killing this man, crucifying this, this man that was so wonderful and their hearts are breaking and they have great sympathy. Who wouldn't have sympathy for Jesus when he was going on the way to the cross. But I want to tell you something, folks. Sympathy is not salvation. A lot of people are moved by what Jesus did. And they think, wow, that is amazing that he did that. But that's not the same. Feeling sympathy for Jesus is not asking him to be your Savior and Lord. It's not just, well, that, that's amazing. I, I, I'm so grateful that Jesus went to the cross to die for my sin. But no, it, it comes to an absolute surrender. That's what salvation is. You realize you are a sinner. You realize that Jesus is the Savior. And I humble myself and I, I give you, Lord, control of my life. Sympathy of the women. Well, Jesus turns to the women as they're weeping for him. And then he gives them a sermon. It's kind of the short sermon, but it's the last sermon that Jesus ever gave. And this is what he says in verse 28. Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore and the breasts which never nursed. Then they, they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and the hills, cover us. For they do these things in the greenwood. What will they be done in the dry? What Jesus is doing here is he is preaching about the fall of Jerusalem. While they were weeping over the injustice of one man's death, he was looking ahead and grieving over the terrible destruction of the entire nation. Innocent and the guilty alike will suffer under the city's destruction. Remember, when Jesus entered the city, as we preached a few weeks ago uh, about the triumphal entry, remember when he stopped and he wept over the city? Now, as he leaves the city to go to the cross, he is expressing grief over the coming destruction that will consume the innocent. Jesus says, they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. They would rather die in, a, in an earthquake or a natural disaster than to be killed by the Romans who were going to sack the city and kill so many people in the destruction of that happening in A.D. 70. It rather be dying of natural uh, hand of, than rather in the hand of the Romans. The Romans were brutal and vicious and mean and they loved to torture people before they executed them. Jesus said they're going to cry for the rocks to fall on them. So this is a, a prophetic sermon that he's there. So on the way to the cross, the first person that he meets is 
Simon the Cyrene. And then he meets the women who were weeping over him. But then Jesus meets two criminals, or the King James calls them malefactors, verses 40, 32 to 43. We see in verse 32, there were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. Now, the Bible does say that this was prophesied, that Jesus would die with criminals, the prophecy. Because it says, way at chapter 22 of Luke, verse 37, Jesus said, For I say to you that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. Where is that found? I believe it's found in Isaiah 53:12, where Isaiah 53, of course, is the, the great messianic passage in the Old Testament that talks about Jesus' death and uh, all of our transgressions laid on him. But verse 12 says, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he will divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death and... He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So this two thieves that were there, two robbers that were there, or criminals or something, they, it was prophesied in the Old Testament they would be with them at his death. Let's look at their deeds. Men who were robbers is what... Uh, Matthew 27:38 says here in Luke calls them criminals but the Greek word robbers in Matthew is one who uses violence to rob openly now we call them thieves also but more specifically when you think of a thief is somebody will come and they'll go into your house sneak in and they will snatch something and take the, take it out but the word that is used here in Matthew about robbers is someone who takes it by violence it's like armed robbery somebody busts your door down with a weapon and says give me your jewels or you're going to die that was the description of these two guys they were not nice people they weren't thieves that are just going to the, the, the marketplace and trying to, to find bread to feed their family. These were twisted, violent, terrible men. These two have been guilty of armed robbery involving murder, most likely. Notice their derision. Now, Luke does not tell us this, but Matthew does. In Matthew 27, which is a parallel, a parallel account, sometimes it, you have to take all four Gospels to get the whole picture here. But Matthew 27, verse 43, indicates some of the cries around the cross, some of the comments that were made. Some said, he trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him, for he said, I'm the Son of God. And then it says in verse 44, even the robbers, robbers plural, who were crucified with him, reviled him with the same thing. So both of these robbers, both of these thieves, said, if he saved other people, let him save himself and us. So there was a point in that process on Calvary where those two thieves, one on the other, were reviling him, were reviling him. But notice they're 
destiny. Verses 39 to 43. Let me read this. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other... Now, first of all, you need to understand that there was a point in the process where both of the robbers blasphemed Jesus. And now one is saying that blasphemy again, but something happened. Notice what it says, but the other in verse 40, answering, rebuked him saying, do you not even fear God seeing you're under the same condemnation and we indeed justly for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Something changed. I wonder what it was. Perhaps when Jesus was on the cross, when he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. When he cried out to his father, those, there were seven different sayings that Jesus mentioned on the cross. Luke only records three of them here, but you put all the gospels together, there's seven specific sayings. Jesus said, perhaps it was seeing what he said, he was willing to forgive those that were crucifying. Perhaps it was the words. Perhaps he realized that this man was a righteous man and I am about to die. And he began to feel the weight of his sin. This was a hard guy, but something melted his heart. And he said this, Lord, remember me. When you come into your kingdom. I'm sure he wasn't one of those that were on the hillsides in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 when Jesus taught about the kingdom of God. Blessed are the meek. And I'm sure the only thing that he knew about Jesus was what he heard from others and what he is seeing for himself now. And he realized that this is the Messiah. And he simply said, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. He didn't know he wasn't schooled in theology. All he realized that he was guilty and he was going to die. And this man perhaps can save him. And he said, Lord, remember me. The one thief imitated the mockery of the religious leaders and asked Jesus to rescue him the cross. But the other thief had different ideas. It may have reasoned if this man indeed is the Christ and if he has a kingdom and as he saved others, maybe he can meet my deepest need myself and perhaps he can save me. I'm not ready to die. And it took courage to speak those words as he spoke the other words earlier on the cross there. And he spoke to the dying king, Lord, remember me. And Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you today, You'll be with me in paradise. What a beautiful saying. What a powerful scriptural. I've been using this teaching on Wednesday night, what happened after we die. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've believed in him and you've trusted him, the words that he said to the thief, he says to every child of God, when you leave this earth, when death takes you, when you breathe your last, you can have the words of Jesus applied to your life. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Amen? 
Well, I tell you, that is a wonderful promise that our Savior made. Not only the one thief, but all of us sinners that believe in Jesus Christ. We too can be absent from the body and present with the Lord. But I want you to notice, one thief was saved that none may despair, but only one was saved that none may presume. On the way to the cross, Jesus met Simon of Cyrene. He met the daughters of Jerusalem. He met these two thieves. But I want to close out by describing Jesus and the Father, verses 44 to 49. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened. The veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Also, in Matthew, there was the forsaking by the Father. When he said on the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What this abandonment was and how Jesus felt it are not explained to us, but certainly it involves the fact that Jesus became sin for us. On the cross, there was also the cry of victory in John 19, verse 33, when Jesus said, It is finished. What does that mean? (laughs) It wasn't necessarily mean that I'm finished, (laughs) I'm dead. I think what Jesus was saying was a cry of victory. The work for the salvation of mankind has been accomplished. This has been building up all through the Old Testament. When every lamb that was slain, every Old Testament sacrifice, every drop of blood that was spilt was looking forward to this day when the Son of God took all of our sins on his own body and he said, it is finished. It's accomplished. The finished work of Jesus to pay our sin debt was accomplished there on the cross. And then Jesus said something else. Here in verse 46, he released his spirit. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He breathed his last. He had to dismiss his spirit. You can't kill God. He willingly gave his life up. In the darkness and the torn veil, as soon as Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says, well, there was supernatural darkness over that hill of Calvary. And also there was the torn veil of the temple in verse 44 and verse 45. And something else happened, and we're not told this here in the Gospel of Luke But there was something else, and I'm going to share that with you as I close out this message. Remember two weeks ago when the Florida Air Show was here? How many of you got to see some of that in the skies up there? I'm told that I've been there before in in other years. They have uh, these planes that are doing impossible acrobatics over there with with, uh, contrail coming out. And it was just a tremendous thing. But this year, they had a group called the Thunderbirds. 
doing these impossible maneuvers. And the one thing that I remember about it is they got pretty close to the ground. (laughs) And when they would zip by, the ground would shake. Remember that? It just felt like you could feel them. The ground shook. Well, I want to tell you about another ground-shaking event. And it happened in Matthew chapter 27, verse 50 to 51. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom, and the earth quaked. The rocks were split. God shook the earth when Jesus died on the cross. He shook the earth because of the revulsion of man's sin that had to be accomplished. But I believe in a greater way that God shook the earth at the redemption of man's soul. Do you realize that? God shook the earth to save your soul and my soul. The Thunderbirds put on a great show over the blue skies of Punta Gorda. However, Jesus' death on the cross was history's greatest ground-shaking event. Believe him. Receive him. Because God shook the earth to save your soul. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he was willing to die and released his spirit to save our soul. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart was rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I'm happy all the day. Oh, Lord, thank you for being willing to save our soul. And I pray that God today, if there's someone here that has never said yes to Jesus, they've never received salvation, God, by your powerful Holy Spirit, speak to their heart. Save them today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I wonder if God spoke to your heart today about what Jesus did for you on the cross. And you're not sure If your sins have been washed away, you're not sure if you've been saved. I'd like to lead you in a prayer. And if God has spoken to your heart and you want to take care of this and receive the Savior as your Savior, you can do it today. The words don't save you, but the heart, God speaking to your heart does. If you'd like to pray this simple prayer along with me, please do so. Father in heaven, I know I'm a sinner. Just like the thief hanging next to Jesus, I deserve to die and be separated from God for all eternity. But right now, I believe that Jesus died for me. And I ask like he asked, Lord, remember me. Save me. I want you to be my Lord and Savior right now. Please, save this poor sinner. In Jesus' name, head still bowed. Anybody pray that prayer for the first time? Let me, let me rejoice with you by raising your hand and pray with you. Anyone pray that prayer this morning? Only God knows your heart. I tell you, only one was saved, so don't wait. 
until it's too late. Thank you so much for this day you've given us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing our closing song.